welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Today, it is Monday, February 22nd. I have with me Benjamin. Hello. Daniel. Hello. And Nicholas. Howdy. And so this is our 52nd and final episode of season one. Everyone, just give ourselves a hand of applause. Come on. It, just for sheer tenacity. And uh, it's been a battle of attrition with us and our listeners. You've stuck with us. But thank you for being here. Um, so looking back on the year, lots of things have happened. The first episode was about the coronavirus, actually, which seems to be every episode at this point. And on that note, Ben, you just got a new job doing what exactly? I did get a new job. I'm going to be joining a large consulting firm called IQVIA, IQVIA. The role is as a consultant on the longitudinal patient data team for the UK branch. So does that so, mean specifically COVID? No, but COVID is certainly going to be a big part of what we'll be looking at. The whole idea behind this particular team is it's looking at patients longitudinally or over a long period of time. So this goes back several years. So they have, you know, agreed to sign over certain types of protected health information and the doctor's offices that they that they're going to also are entered into these kind of data sharing agreements. So the real power of this is that you can track individual patients and their treatment options, what they're actually being diagnosed with, what kinds of medications they're taking, what kind of adherence they're having to those medications. Uh, and you can look at that over a period of multiple years. So that's extraordinarily powerful. It's a very, very rich data set, but it's also very, very complicated, uh, hence the need to have a specific team that works on that in particular. So my role is going to be focused on, A, understanding the data set first and foremost, and then also thinking about ways to to possibly leverage it and new business opportunities and to to better service clients and that kind of thing. Got it. So you're, gonna, you're still going to be a money monger, you could say. A money monger, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so necessarily, but uh, uh, we'll see. It's not it's not paying me a, a stupid amount of money or anything. I mean, yeah, but the relevance of COVID is that uh, it's they're, they're already seeing some trends in the data about patient adherence, in particular, to different kinds of uh, depending on the on the patient's condition. You know, a lot of people just stopped going to the doctor, so people with chronic conditions uh, are likely to have worse symptoms and poor outcomes and might need more dramatic. Um, you know, therapeutic interventions. Uh, so I think just kind of better understanding the fallout from all of this and the impact that multiple lockdowns have had on patients and how that varies from disease state to disease state is going to be a really central component of the job going forward. Got it. And Dan, welcome back from a brief stint of absence. Why, why exactly were you gone? Oh, we had uh, the COVID bug hit our house very hard. So we were down for the count for a few weeks, but Back at him now. You said that you had a aches mainly. How was the recovery? Or was it was the onset quick? Did did you know kind of where it came from? Just I've, I've always wondered about all this. No, don't know where it came from. But my it, onset was very quick. Went from my wife was sick first, and went from she was feeling fine to not feeling great to 102 degree fever over the course of like 12 hours. So then we both got tested, but it was. Yeah, pretty intense. Losing your sense of smell is surreal because all of a sudden you just realize, wait, that should have smelt weird. Smelt, and you know, but the biggest, I was changing my son's diaper and I was like, it doesn't smell anymore. What is going on? 
And uh, I will say that was the, one of the trickier things because normally it's very apparent when he needs a diaper change. But when you can't smell anything, you have to be like, oh, I need to be checking this all the time, like visually, because you can't smell when it smells terrible. So that was like a funny little anecdote. But the recovery was, it was a pretty long time. We both were sick for like 10 days straight. And then I'd say the four or five after that, it was like random pockets of feeling better until finally one day it was like, okay, I felt better fully all day. And how was Theo? Was he symptomatic or? No, not really. In retrospect, yes, a little bit. He was definitely like fussy and wasn't sleeping super well, but, um, Mm -hmm. but never had a fever or anything else. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, Glad you all made it. Is Corinne brutal? Do do any do you and Corinne have any residual symptoms or so far I don't think so we'll see I mean I haven't really been tried to work out or anything like that to see but I think okay we'll see I don't know I think we'll have to it'll be fine a couple weeks from now we'll we'll know for sure but yeah we had I would say Amazon was great we got a um, little like finger pulsometer and oxygen tracker. Oh my God, my parents sent me one and I've been doing it every once in a while. Right, yeah. So we were just using that every like 20 minutes or so, every, I don't know, half hour or something like that, just to make sure we were on top of things. Because they've said, usually it drops before you start having the shortness of breath, your pulse, your oxygen levels, right? I don't know, Ben maybe would know What was the lowest you got to? O2 sat. O2 sat. Mine was definitely, there was a stretch where I was in like 92 to 94 for a little bit. Interesting. Um, But... Never. It's weird how consistent. I've never taken and not had 96 or 97. It is literally always those two numbers. It's kind of weird how consistent. It seems yeah, mine was definitely, definitely jumping around. But then, but I really didn't have any shortness of breath, and I have asthma, so I've had shortness of breath many times in my life. So it's not like a shocking thing if it happens. But I didn't, so that was. I was like, I would joke I had like heavy lungs because I was so tired and had kind of like aches all in my entire back and rib muscles stuff like that. But interesting it's so funny how the symptoms are so varied you know my wife her main thing was she got like really bad headaches and was extremely nauseous um but she never had a fever she was never really achy outside of her head and then me i just became like incredibly congested and like had all this like horrendous like bright green snot coming out of my nose oh right really bizarre yeah no well yeah and then you know the kids had like mild fevers and and outside of that it's just it's pretty wild yeah it was interesting i had definitely headaches for a long stretch Mm -hmm. that was i feel bad on a previous podcast aaron trent said that there there's been too many natural disasters to blue states recently and one needs to hit a red state and so when uh the whole texas thing was going down i was like god damn it aaron trent you really brought this upon them. I really think, I think uh, WAP has a lot more power than people prescribe to it. A lot of the things that are said on this podcast really uh, jump into reality, if you know what I'm saying. Did WAP, isn't that like a Cardi B song or something with Megan Three Stallion? Like, did that come out after Megan the podcast? Megan Stallion. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Megan the Stallion. Megan the Stallion or Three Stallion? There's no R in, in <laughs> Megan the Stallion. Okay, yeah. gotcha. But she, I think she uses the number three in her name as like the E and uh, the V, uh, which is the confusion. Anyways, yes, they wrote a song called Wet Ass Pussy that Ben Shapiro had a had a snit fit over. Basically, well, but, he, but did he, like, that came out that 
he'd asked his wife about it and she was like well vaginas aren't really supposed to get wet or something mm. that's a that's a concern that's a health concern so. <laughs> oh god <laughs> that um, is what he said <laughs> well yes we were before that okay and we yeah, had the branding before that i think we even have if there's some sort of copyright for posting something to instagram first then we have it all right good <laughs> that's not the way copyright works I don't think. dan good. you're a copyright lawyer is that how copyright works not a copyright lawyer so that's probably good i don't want to get myself in trouble i have no <laughs> idea how copyright works it's a very arcane process so what else is going on in the world what did what did you think of uh ted cruz's adventure nick um not good I mean, the other thing is, doesn't the CDC recommend you don't travel to Mexico for COVID reasons? Mexico's in a better state than the U.S. Really? Uh, yeah. What they recommend it, is that you quarantine for a week after you come back, you know, even if you get tested. But don't they recommend just, like, non-essential travel? Like, don't do non-essential travel? Oh, of travel? course. Yeah, that goes without saying. Uh, yeah, that guy's pretty stupid, huh? But people seem to... I, I don't get how he keeps getting reelected, but I guess... Is, is he up at two more years or is it at four 20, more years? 2024. Oh. Ted Cruz, he only got elected, re-elected once, and it was very close, and he With massively performed. Yeah. So he's definitely, 2024, he's in the hot seat, so we'll see. It's just so funny to me that he threw his kids under the bus immediately, and then it came out a day later that he had invited his college roommate oh. on the trip. <laughs> so it clearly was not the kids idea and also the fact that Heidi Cruz had her group chat snitched on hilarious right it's tough not many people like Ted Cruz um which is hard he's such a principled man but um (laughs) yeah that was a tough one what else is going on this week oh yeah I I like that Cuomo keeps getting battered about can't wait till that guy's gone is he gonna run again we'll find out really soon right fourth term is what did his father in yeah Cuomo lying about the death is very, I don't know, or he didn't technically lie. He just hid some of the truth. Uh, it's, he had a very lawyerly response to the what he did wrong. It's very unbranded. Yeah, he seems to just have control over a lot of people. So, like, he was probably just telling them to do. There's just so many people doing his bidding throughout the government. It seems like he needs to go. He's like a cancer, it feels like. You can just tell he's lying all the time. He's this performative liar. Um, how is uh, California doing? How's Gavin Newsom doing? Is he going to get recalled? Well, I would say, I think, so there's a four-pronged recall effort that's going on right now, three or four-pronged. So Gavin, the San Francisco DA, the San Francisco school board, and there's one more, too, that people are pushing for a recall. I think that Gavin's going to get, it's going to get on the ballot. And so what is it for? Is it just for managerial malfeasance or whatever for all the fire stuff and everything? Or um, I think uh, unclear. I think the French laundry episode was what ultimately did him in to get this really going, that the state was in lockdown and he went to a what looked like an indoor dining event at a very fancy restaurant in Napa. And people just got very mad and so kind of started it. And then the vaccine rollout was very slow in California at the very beginning. Now, I think things are moving, seems like decently well. So I think it was those combination of things. How's Chesa Boudin doing? Bowden? Boudin? How do you pronounce it? Chesa Boudin um, Boudin. is, I think, doing great. But Mm. I don't know who that is. He he is the San Francisco district district attorney who comes from a great family of law abiding citizens. Just really 
great father, family of law-abiding his parents were incarcerated. Yes, Nick, that is true. Um, for terrorism, for left-wing extremist terrorism in the 60s and 70s. Did they, they kill part of, like a, the Weather Underground or something? Yeah, yes. I think they were, or some some affiliate. Didn't they kill like right. a? I think I would guard? say I would say Nick Cheza was two months old, so I don't really think we can blame him for that one. No. And then they were, they were in prison until he was, I think, out of high school. So I'm not quite sure we should give him a hard time for being a Rhodes Scholar and a Yale Law grad. <laughs> given the fact that his parents were in prison. so Yeah, he was probably but, taught by Bill Ayers at Yale Law, though. He, well, in Bill fact, Ayers was. Chicago. Yeah, Bill I think Ayers he was, was in godfather. fact. Yes, yeah. I think President Obama signed, recommended uh, Cheza for a Rhodes Scholarship, so pretty pretty accomplished. What um, do you have against the Weather Underground, Nick? Other than... I just don't like blowing up things. Like, I don't. Is that, like, that really? is not true. Nick, you don't First like blowing all, up things, true. Nick. <laughs> you just say you only like blowing up things if it's in someone else's country. Then blow it all up. Well, I, I would like, I mean, I think certainly like Iranian re- nuclear research facilities, I would like them to be, they're not green. There's not green energy coming out of there. And I think for the sake of the environment, I think it'd be best if we did disassemble these nuclear research facilities in Iran. It seems like that deal is progressing, right? There was like talk today that there was backdoor conversations happening mm. during the whole Trump era. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's progressing. I would say it, it, if you really want to provide economic stimulus to the Iranian military, it's a good way to do that. There's a really good 60 Minutes documentary about Syria and right. the genocide going on in Syria, which is a direct consequence of sanctions being lifted against Iran because Iran, once those sanctions were lifted, the monies that Iran got from those sanctions relief went to their actions in Syria and contributed to the Assad's genocidal mania. It's a little tough because money's fungible, but I think, Nick, I was reading today on Twitter, and I think this is a pretty interesting question. Right now, the United States is a net oil exporter, right? Natural gas, balanced, if not net export. And we're about to bring online enough solar, geothermal, and wind to make our oil and natural gas needs even lower. So we don't need the Middle East at all. Should we just walk away and tell Iran and Saudi Arabia to go take up their issues with China, who actually needs their oil? Now, my question is, do you trust an Iran with a nuclear weapon? And do you trust... They already have one. Let's be real. They Come don't on. have a deliverable one. They don't have okay. one that they can put if on a missile. really needed one, they could get one in, yeah, in Pakistan. Months, six months. So, right. I think, like, I think it's somewhat more of fiction. It's like, a, they call this term legal fiction, where... It's like, yeah, okay, that's true, but it's not true at the same time, right? Like, like let's put it this way. The, um, the case that said it was okay for FDR to have camps for the Japanese, that I'm totally blanking on the case name, that was good law up until two years ago. But everyone knew it wasn't, you couldn't do that anymore, but it was mm-hmm. technically still a law. And so I think that's kind of the same thing with the... Yeah, Iran doesn't have a nuclear bomb, but they would have one. And they, if there was actually a war and they needed one, they would get one very quickly. Well, no, that's not true because there's different. There's three sides to a nuclear bomb. There's the actual warhead, 
there's the miniaturization of the bomb, and then there's the actual ballistic missile that it goes on top of. Can't you they, buy those in the black market? I mean, we've been no. we've talked about it before, how they've got warheads in three different pieces that you're talking about riding around in shipment trucks throughout Pakistan. Yeah, you don't think that there's a market for that in Well, there was, and there's a guy who was in charge of it called AQ Khan who was shut shut down by the Bush administration and was placed under house arrest by the Pakistani I would imagine that if one falls down, another one will pop up instead. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the nuclear weapon, it's not necessarily the threat that Iran will use it, because if they do, if they were to use it, there would be hell unleashed upon them by the Israelis, by regional allies of the United States, including Saudi Arabia, UAE, and a bunch of others. I'm just saying, I get the, the point, States. and it seemed like even before, where when Obama was negotiating this deal, mm-hmm. the like technical aspect of getting inspectors in and everything wasn't as much of the point as just getting Iran to the table about other issues as well. Yeah, it's but like, they're not. The, it's not achievable because even if you bring Iran to the table. They're, they're not an honest broker. The people you're negotiating with aren't actually in control of the nuclear weapons program. That's Ayatollah Khamenei and not Javad Zarif nor Rouhani, who's the president. And those are the people you should be negotiating with, the IRGC commander, who are they're in full com- control over the nuclear weapons pr- progress. And the other thing is that they're not necessarily going to use it. That's not, a, that's not the danger of them having a nuke. The danger is it provides essentially life insurance for the regime against its own people. So all you're doing is condemning the Iranian people to years, decades more of misery under this disgusting, revolting, crazy, tyrannical regime. And what you're also doing is you're you're condemning the people of Syria, the people of Lebanon, the people of Yemen, the by people of Iraq. By lifting sanctions on them? That's why? By lifting yes. sanctions? Yes, okay. because as you know, the Iranian economy, 40% of it, Rough estimate, guesstimation, again, is controlled by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. So the, at your odds are in Iran, if you do business with Iran, with Iran odds are you're, you're working with a company that's a front organization for the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. So if you look at the sanctions relief in 2015 after the JCPOA, the influx of cash that went to the regime did not trickle down. Maybe this is an argument against trickle-down economics, so touche on that, but it did not trickle down to the Iranian people. What you did is the money from the sanctions relief went directly to the regime to fund its uh, genocidal campaigns in Syria, in Yemen, Lebanon, and Iraq. And again, if you really want to help the Iranian people, your best bet is to apply maximum pressure against the regime to ensure that it collapses. That is the best way to help the Iranian people. If you want to screw them over, give money to their government that oppresses them. Thank you for that tutorial. My bad. My bad. Sorry for the. It's okay. The argument then is like we can. There's just a million governments that we can't deal with, right? And maybe that's the case. Yeah, this goes What's, back to like the like, America has, seems to have a very different policy toward. It's easy to call out the double standards within our foreign policy. Hey, it's totally fine to sell weapons to Saudi Arabia. Well, it it is. Um, yeah, I know you. It's it's clear as a day. But I'm saying, like, they did kill a journalist in America, so I don't know. How many journalists has Iran killed? I don't know how many. Uh, have... More. I can. Get, the answer is more than Saudi Arabia. I mean, I am not going to stand here and defend the killing of Khashoggi. That was a brutal act of of stupidity and horrendousness, and it was egregious. And MBS. I mean, I think he should face consequences for that. But 
there's like this moral equivalence to compare Saudi Arabia is a much the dynamics within the country are much more complex than people think. The as opposed to Iran, which is very simple for you to explain simple. to us in two minutes. The, the, um, you're making say, Ben you yawn also. Right. Can we just say, did you think well, no, it's, it was a little bit funny where <laughs> president, or I think the, was it the press secretary at the White House said, has the president reached out to MBS? And the response was, MBS is not the president's counterpart. The king is the president's counterpart. And so in time, President Biden will reach out to the king. Yeah. I just thought that was funny. That is pretty King intense. Salman, yeah. Well, he's, yeah. he's getting up there in age. But How many so kings is... and queens are there left in the world? Quite a few. Two dozen or something? There's a bunch in the Middle East. There's some random ones in Europe. None in Latin America. I Does think Portugal Africa... still have a king, Ben? Or is they still like a monarchy? Or no? No. Spain there's, there's is, though, right? Yeah. Spain has a queen, right? Or king? King. Um, Spain, UK, Norway, Sweden, Denmark? Jordan. Jordan, Saudi, Oman, uh, oh, Eswatini, which used to be called Swaziland. I think that's the only one in Africa that has a king. Wikipedia says 44. Oh, yeah, we Japan, close, Japan. Only about half. Bahrain, Barbados, Belgium, Belize, Bhutan. Qatar. Brunei, you got the bees down. Cambodia, Canada, Denmark. Canada's oh, part of England. Commonwealth countries. Yeah, Australia, New Zealand. Ben, we, do you want to give us any advice on uh, protecting against these variants? It feels like this it's just the same as just mask up and, and do the same thing as always. But now I'm reading that, that they're about to take over. That now they're becoming the dominant strain. Everything we've had before was regular COVID, and now we have this UK strain. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's definitely been the case in Europe for a while. It's certainly been the case here in Portugal. Um, there's no real advice that you can give aside from continue to follow guidelines um don't go out if you can always wear a mask uh and then yeah i don't know there's there's you know disinfect everything disinfect your hands all the time i was don't reading an face. article that uh that people that wear glasses are less likely to get it for some reason because you you're prone to touch your eyes more if you mm -hmm. don't wear glasses no that makes sense the eyes are a very vulnerable mucosal surface so that makes sense I, I saw an interesting article that basically said that there's a strong correlation between the percentage of Neanderthal DNA you have and your propensity for worse COVID outcomes, which is very interesting. Very interesting. Wow. I don't know. It might be a case of correlation, but I think it's kind of unlikely given the number of people that have that have gotten this thing. Like you're always going to be able to get a good sample size. So that's pretty How interesting. How many Neander like what percentage of Neanderthal are we? Everyone is between like point something and up to two to three percent Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. But that's there's far. nobody on Earth that's not that's oh except for in Africa. In Africa, there are people that are that are not Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. But like everyone else that immigrated out of Africa, like something like eighty to ninety thousand years ago, has crossbred with Neanderthals and even Cro-Magnons and other stuff. They're starting to realize there was like all these different humans, like tiny ones. Bigger ones, Neanderthal-like ones. Mm -hmm. But they were all smaller than modern Homo sapiens, not bigger. That's sort of a, a myth, like Neanderthals were smaller. But yeah, it's just, it's the out-of-Africa hypothesis. Have you ever seen an SNL skit with Phil Hartman as the caveman lawyer? Mm -hmm. That's a great skit. And I don't know if it's based in any type of anthropology or science. No. But it wasn't. Okay. I'm sure it was. 
we should continue this conversation about the out of Africa hypothesis in another episode. We could talk about mitochondrial M, which literally blows was, your mind. That we, right, I was just going to say that. It's all about mitochondrial DNA. That's how you trace it. That's what I learned at the U Chicago. Yeah, it's really crazy that we are, I mean, not us, but uh, at some point in evolutionary history, an organism ate and just swallowed it and made it its energy battery, which is what a mitochondria is. That's just like a really frightening thing to imagine. Mm -hmm. Factory of the cell. What should we fear? Fear Uh, itself. No. (laughs) I was going to say this new bird flu that just has been discovered in Russia. That's worrisome. Mm. Is that the one they like unearthed from the tundra? Did you see that that they've in the no, uh, that's that actually found something up? that's something that terrifies me personally. Is like as global warming continues and um, ancient viruses are going to get defrosted. That's that worries me. Like if there's just like someone who had smallpox and then died uh, and got frozen, that could potentially reinfect everyone with smallpox. So that's a worry. Um, but this is like a, a new form of avian flu that has been discovered in russia at a poultry farm h5n8 i think it's like seven people that have gotten it everyone no one has died of it yet and i think they're not sure if it can transmit from person to person yet but um anytime there's any zoonotic disease crossing over you you know see the the potential ramifications just given covid so flu is worrisome it's obviously less transmissible than covid um, but it's significantly more deadly depending on the exact sort of genetic segments that are used uh, in the flu so great news yeah i don't know it's it's something i'm watching with great interest obviously so h5n8 I fear things like you fear, like the small midlife crises, the domestic fears, that moment when you look into the mirror and don't really recognize what you see. Is that Has that happened to you, Seth? I look just like I did, I think, when I was 22. You do look pretty similar. You've That's got true. this sort of youthful glean about you. I always just, smile. You just have to just think every day is going to be great and you can do great things and hang out with cool people and talk about stuff on a great podcast 52 weeks in a row. Well, <laughs> what do you think, Seth? You were on all 52 and I hit 40, you think? Yeah, you did a you did a great job. Nick has been the most consistent recently. Props to Nick for for holding down the end of the podcast. We need so a, nothing we need to do a, in my life. <laughs> we do Sorry. need to do a much better job of uh bringing on people that aren't just random friends of mine. You have so many good random friends, though. That's true. One of my friend's husband calls this podcast Seth and Friends, which I think is an adequate name for it. Right. You could do, maybe, that could be your new, like, morning thing. You do, you know, there was Fox and Friends. You could be Seth and Friends and just do a clubhouse every morning that people listen to when they get up. Who's Steve Ducey among us, then? Probably me. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, if you have asked and answered right there. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode please tune in next week when we will have a very special guest please send in any questions comments episode suggestions general complaints stay safe wear a mask wash your hands and see you next week